Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. A brisk morning today. A little damp, too. Um, Some of us, though probably not all of us, should get some rain today and a lot more tomorrow. And we need it. That slow soak, these cooler temperatures, this is how we recharge the soil. Now, anything special going on? Not really. We have some really wonderful temperatures coming up. Now, today and tomorrow's going to be a little cooler, but we get back up into the mid-70s before the week's out. That's pretty nice. Low temperatures are still good. Are these are fall garden temperatures? These are really nice fall garden temperatures. So we can enjoy them. Now Sunday and Monday rain eh, that happens. I know plenty of gardeners who garden at night. They put on one of those headlamps. You can put on a raincoat. Go out. Still do work. Doesn't look like severe rain, just kind of light rain. One of the things with this amount of moisture, you're going to run into a little problem. Being cooler, the cold weather may help, but when it's this kind of moisture all the time, we get snails. Lots and lots of snails. It's... uh, What happens? So how do you control them? How do you keep them from chewing on your plants or just being annoying? Well, there's a product called Sluggo. It is a bait that will will be eaten by the snail and winds up killing it. You can distribute this bait. You can distribute this bait pretty much any time. A little goes a very long way. And it even holds up in this kind of rain. I would try to get more out of it by waiting till the rain is done. Now, I found found out something about ways to prevent snails, to get rid of them, that I hadn't known, and I observed it. I didn't necessarily look it up, hear it, read it somewhere. My neighbor has a duck. Yeah. He wanders free in his yard most of the day, and they lock him up at night so he's safe. He's got his own little hutch to stay in. Um, But they've got this white duck. Well, I watched him plucking snails right off a building. I have a... I have a out building and it gets covered with snails 
And the duck goes by and pops them off and eats them. Had to look that up. I wanted to make sure I wasn't causing a problem for the duck. Nope, not a problem. That's one of their dietary things. Ducks are omnivores. Snails, slugs, they will chomp them right down. So you could get rid of snails by getting a duck. Uh, works pretty well, too. Uh, and he's relatively sociable. Since he's not my duck, he will come over close to my fence and stand there and quack at me, I guess. And he just keeps going up and down the fence line, getting the snails that he can reach. Keeps him well fed. They gave him a name. His name is Waddles. And he is, uh, he's a pretty awesome neighbor. Let's see here. Oh, I got a good text here, and this is something we should work on. Um, how do you attract fireflies to your yard? It's not a specific plant that they host on. Fireflies like leaf litter and tall grasses and things like that. So it's not a particular plant. They stay in the leaf matter. The, they need consistent moisture. We've been awful dry. I remember the year where it was like, oh my gosh, there are so many fireflies up. That was a wetter year. The water was spread out. And you will find them closer to unkept areas. I don't know how else to phrase that. Um, places that aren't manicured and kept real short with perfect turf grass. They are in the leaf litter, they're in the shrubs, in the grasses. That's where they live, <coughs> where they live and multiply. I love seeing them. They showed up a couple of years ago, and I mean, it was all over the news. Look at all these fireflies we were having. Those were environmental conditions that were just perfect for them. And it was impressive. I remember as a kid, now, I'm from the Midwest, so we actually had things like rain. And uh, you would go out every night and there would be ones. It was never a surprise because we had so many of them. And they were so consistent. Can't tell you if they're still there now. But that's part of the problem down here in Texas. That leaf litter, those grasses that we don't trim back, um, dense shrubbery, things like that. <laughs> Put them all together and you've got the environment for the fireflies. So there's not a single plant you can plant that will draw them in. Um, if you have a kind of floppy area, I don't say that as, you know, 
disin I'm not disrespecting anybody's property, but lots of hiding places, lots of leaves, lots of dead leaves, places that they can get into. You don't need this perfectly manicured lawn. You're you're probably going to have a problem getting the fireflies. You will have so many more if you can keep things kind of natural. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I got to take a quick break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, gardener. Uh, I'm sorry, someone just texted me. They had a problem yesterday. Couldn't figure out what this uh, pile of dirt was that was showing up in their garden. And they texted me that they finally were able to dig it up and look, and it's a Texas pocket gopher. Now, rather than getting a trap, Rather than getting a trap, there are products. There's one called um, Mole Max, M-O-L-E-M-A-X. And it's a granule, and you sprinkle it around, and it stinks really bad to gophers and armadillos and moles and things like that. You may be able to get the critter away by putting down this kind of border barricade. You put it down and you put it where you need to protect an area. You got armadillos always coming in, digging up an area you got uh, possible gophers, things like that. This material um, is really safe, really safe. It's easy to use. And on the bag or container that it comes in, it'll tell you that it lasts about six months. I think that's a little generous here in Texas. After about three months, you want to start checking and making sure you're not seeing you're not seeing the problem return. It's not real expensive, and a little of it goes a long way. But it's easier to deal with than traps. You know, you can move the creature along without having to kill it. And if you have a trap, that's ugly when you have to dig it out. But consider that product. Look it up. It's called Mole, M-O-L-E, Max, M-A-X, Mole Max. Local nurseries carry it. I think you can get it in big some of the big box stores, too. But it is one way to put down a barrier to stop or prevent 
very various uh, critters from tearing up your garden. Now, <clears throat> someone has texted and wants to know what are the, the groups, Facebook groups for uh, fruit tree growers here in Texas. Now, one of them is the uh, Texas Rare Fruit Growers. Now, they have kind of extended their reach and are also known as Texas Fruiting Plant Growers. So if you want to know about a particular fruiting plant, if you want to uh, check out something unique you want to try to grow here in Texas, that is, that is something you can see. Now, the other place you can go is the Texas Fruit Growers blog. That's under Aggie Horticulture. They uh, discuss crops and they will help you with a particular fruit and show you how best to care for it or what its requirements are and see if you can actually plant it here in, in uh, Texas. If you have the environment that would let that fruit grow. Now these folks been doing this for a long time. So they got a pretty good understanding and they also, the fruit growers, uh, Texas fruit growers, they have a meetup every once in a while where they will exchange scions. So if you've got a certain rootstock they'll have a scion you can try. And the scion is the part that actually grows the fruit. When you grow an apple, for example, the scion may be a um, Granny Smith. That's the part of the tree that grows that fruit. But the rootstock can be something completely different. And with apples, which have been really deeply experimented on, there are a ton of rootstocks, ones for bad soils, ones for dry environments, ones for uh, very short apples, ones for very full apple trees, you name it. There's all kinds of rootstocks that you would attach that scion to, to have a particularly good apple. So that's the Texas Fruit Growers on Facebook and the Texas uh, Fruit Growers blog under Aggie Horticulture. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. We need to take a break for the news. We'll be right back. 
This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> you know, this would be a wet morning, but this wouldn't be a bad time to go out there and look at what's blooming and what isn't. I've got stuff blooming that I thought was dead after the heat, and it's actually flowering well. What do you got that's still going? What do you got that's like, sorry, that's not going to make it. Keeping this inventory is really important. Otherwise, you're going out and wasting your time. If you can't... You know, if you're spending more time and labor keeping something going and you're failing at that, why do you have it? I know that sounds brutal. Some of you have certain plants here. You're like, I want this plant. I want this plant. Fine. But consider what you're asking for and Think about putting it in an attractive container rather than putting it in the ground. Because if it's in the container, it'll be much easier to provide it water if we have a drought again. And that can be, you know, that can be pretty nasty. There's a lot of work involved. And, you know, we have rain... Some of us are going to get rain today. Some of us are. And tomorrow is like an 80% chance of rain. So hopefully, hopefully, we get this rain soaking in slowly. No flash floods, thank you. We get it soaking in in the watershed. The places where when water falls, it forces it into a particular area. Maybe it recharges the Edwards Aquifer. Maybe it keeps the lakes full. Things like that. We're still eight inches or more behind for the year. And that's definitely not going to change overnight. We don't want it to change overnight. We don't need eight inches of rain in a single day. That's just disastrous. That's too much of a risk. <laughs> Beautiful picture of some uh, morning glories. I have I have a, a rather unique uh, clematis or clematis, depending on how you say it. It's uh, called a pink or a purple leather flower. Um, Clematis Pacheri. It is a native, actually, and it produces this really unique, beautiful purple flower. Well, I've had it in the same spot now for several years, and it's full of blooms right now. The cool weather and the rain has really helped it recover from the nasty heat. 
Well, I go out there to look at it real closely. It looks fantastic. And my wife goes, hey, do you see that? Like, what? I said, look, there used to be a morning glory growing where the Pacheri is now sitting. And they've kind of worked their way into each other. Lovely plants. And the color of purple, it was a Grandpa Ott's morning glory. The color of purple matches the colors of the Pacheri. So it's it's really helped put a purple spot in my yard. It looks really nice. And I am amazed that the morning glory, I don't see it during the spring. It doesn't come up. But in the fall, boy, it's ready to go. And it does really well. <clears throat> it does really well for some reason, growing within this other vine. They make a nice combination, the two of them. Um, I have always been happy just getting the morning glories to go, but I've had difficulty with that. I can't get all of the, I plant seeds, and the first year I get them to start coming up, and I come out one day and they're all gone. I didn't realize that morning glories were a fan of rabbits. And they were chewing them down. So then I started to wrap them, protect them, put fencing around them. And the morning glory wouldn't really come up very well, if at all. So the one place I got them growing, where I'm really happy with, they're competing with a flower that completely different shape, but pretty much the exact same color. It makes for an interesting display. Um, won't complain about it, though. Won't complain about it. It looks really nice. And uh, I, I'm happy with it. What else could you have going today? Now, my flame acanthus, which is huge, it is a little enthusiastic in the reseeding category. It is huge. And it's putting on lots of red blooms. They look beautiful. Speaking of kind of getting invasive, <clears throat> the, the flame acanthus can get carried away pretty easily. I've been noticing something. I quit mowing for quite a while because nothing was growing. And I went to mow my property the other day after, you know, we had some rain, everything turned green again. Uh, I had to wait for it to dry out so that I could mow it. I have volunteer Texas sage all over my property. I can't believe how much has volunteered. And you know, the little finches, when the Texas sage blooms, it makes a very small seed. The little finches love it. They just go head first into the sage, looking for these little seeds, and it's their diet. Well, it also results in a lot of free Texas sages coming up 
all over the place, middle of the yard, next to existing plants, out in a field, nowhere near where the plant is. So are they invasive? Let's just say they're aggressive. Because when they're really small and I first notice them, they don't hold up to the lawnmower. So if I keep things mowed, I don't have an overflow of those types of plants. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Need to take a quick break? Be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512 836 Welcome back, everybody. Um, someone texted me, and, and it's unfortunate. Fruit trees in Texas, plums, peaches, for sure. Get a fruit tree borer, and it's just what you think it is. It is an insect that will bore through the tree, and it will pop out and uh, head to the soil and become larval stage. Once it finishes its larval stage, it will erupt as a moth where it goes and lays eggs for more fruit tree borers. Is there anything you can do about this? Not a lot. The healthier the tree, the less damage the borer does. And you can tell the borer, because you'll look at the trunk of the tree and there will be what looks like taps, holes in the tree with sap really flowing out. The borer is not in the tree when you see that. It's gone. So no jam and paper clip in the hole or anything like that. It will wind up killing the tree. It is probably the normal way we will lose those fruit trees. It looks bad because it is bad. Um, the, the sap is not going to harm the tree. But the tree's going to be worn out by the borers. Can you use something to kill the borers? No. Um, the borer is eating the tree, which means whatever you're using, you would have to wind up getting it into the tree itself, called a systemic poison. Well, guess what? A systemic poison means it goes into the fruit, too. And you don't really, you don't really want to deal with that. Okay? I don't want to eat that poison. The healthier the tree, the harder you work to give it the environment it wants and needs, the more it can resist borers and the longer it will last. Many of our peaches and plums 
their lifespan is decided by how badly they're attacked by borers. And even then, it's not the attack. It's can they withstand the attack. So, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do to stop them. Let's go to the phone. This is Gary. Gary, what can I help you with? Yes, I've been looking at getting mason bees, and I hear all these different things where you have to, uh, well, can you tell me about the easiest way of doing them or getting them or harvesting them? Uh, you have to understand they're solitary. They don't right. cluster and work together. However, if you build a habitat for them, they will come. That's really the easiest way to get them, to make sure that you give them a place to be able to lay eggs and reproduce. So and all I have to do are, is buy a mason house and put it up? That's a great start. If you do a little bit of searching on it, you can make your own mason house with some leftover bamboo. Not big diameter bamboo, smaller diameter. Uh, you can take a block of wood and a drill bit and make your own mason house. Or you can purchase one. It is totally up to you. They have some general guidelines about it should face a particular direction and a certain height will help. And they will do actually pretty good if you can mount it in a tree. And over time, you will get more and more mason bees to come fill up the house and have children. So I don't have to do anything with the hatching? Nope. Nope. You, you just need to provide them a habitat. They will take care of themselves from that point on. Oh, okay. Well, question answered. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call, Gary. Yeah, folks, mason bees need a mason bee home. Now, that can be one that houses a whole bunch of mason bees. Or that can be one with just one single hole and the mason bees use it. They will lay an egg and cover it. And when the egg hatches, they'll go and find another place to lay an egg and cover it. You can have more than one um, round of mason bees per season. They generally won't sting you. Actually, I don't think they can sting. And they are multiples better at pollinating plants than honeybees. Pretty friendly, looks cool, takes no effort, requires almost no care. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I got a break for the news. I'll catch you on the other side. 